This is Phoebe. And I'm Nicole. This is Bitch Faced. And this is the second episode in a three-part series we're calling Against the Couple Form, a title inspired by an essay we read in Lies Journal Volume 1. There are so many narratives around what couples are, what they should be, and what they should provide for us. According to the essay, The couple functions as the threshold, the admission fee, the golden key that allows a woman to participate in the social world. The couple promises that upon entering its grasp, one will no longer suffer from alienation, from isolation, from boredom, from rootlessness. The couple grants a woman a person... But do couples really deliver everything that they promise? No. (laughs) Can one person be everything to you? No. But we aren't given a lot of alternatives to coupling, alternative ways to be close, to be physical, to be sensual. To get off. To be in love. So one way to live in spite of the couple form, as we saw in episode one, is to shack up with your best friend and have all of your other relationships revolve around that one central relationship. I feel like I can be myself in this interaction, like I can be domestic goddess, and it doesn't feel like a burden to me. But what if we take having a primary romantic partner out of it entirely? Taylor and Elise had their approach, which is like living in a network of small families, which includes couples. But we found ourselves taking a kind of different path where there is no coupling. There's no primary partners. We're each individuals in a network of care. So after we got back from our trip to New York, we let our questions guide us. Why do we create relationship hierarchies? Is there really a difference between a romance and a friendship? Or is it that a friendship is the perfect romance? Can touching your friends be sensual without being sexual? These next two episodes are about what happened after that. Earlier this year, we went to a party in downtown Los Angeles, and we got there kind of late, so the people who had, like, come for the scene were already gone. (laughs) Thank God. The people who remained were dancing. We were there with two friends. You know how when you're dating someone... I'm not dating in 2017. Really? (laughs) Yeah, I know it's like a millennial cliche or whatever, but I'm just not into labeling things. Labels lead to expectations. Yeah, I think it keeps things from feeling obligatory. Seriously, every time I think, sure, I could go home with this person, I just... That's our friend S. Think about how much more fun I'd have if I just stayed home with Chloe. (laughs) Chloe's her dog. Yeah, obviously. We got drinks. We chatted up some cuties at the bar. um, Met some new people. Talked to some people we already knew. She is so cute. Did you go home with her? Did you go home with him? I'm a political lesbian. Dump him, girl. Dump him. Please dump him. So, are you like trying to date or what? A lot of things were going on with me at this moment. At the beginning of 2017, I was like, I'm done with monogamy, I'm done with polyamory, I'm done with coupling. And then along came this essay against the couple form and I realized, okay, like this is what I've been looking for. So I was already having all kinds of like new thoughts about the potential of my friendships. So I was really feeling myself that night because I had bought this purple Angora beret that very day. And so I had like the new look at the cool party thing going on. And also earlier that week, we had been to this panel discussion where this amazing woman posed the idea of abolishing heterosexuality. And so I was just like, 
like in the throes of a queer epiphany. To abolish the idea of heterosexuality means that you see everyone around you as queer, as potentially queer, potentially queer. Yeah, and I was like open to anything that night. Like the possibilities, <laughs> the possibilities were endless for me. Yeah. We were dancing, we were touching, then all four of us were kissing. Um, I remember it just kind of being happening and then being like, oh, right on. Here's the real S talking about what actually happened that night. That's a good assumption. <laughs> you, were, you were the first person that I kissed. I feel like I just remember looking around at my friends all being like, so like smiley and open and like happy and just like loose like I do feel like there was something about that night that we were all like I probably looked over and Nicole was like well we had just celebrated the spring equinox <laughs> oh right yeah we were yeah. on some like some pagan we shit. went to yeah. a ritual <laughs> yeah but also like I would say yeah like I think I definitely was had a kind of like a low-key agenda about being like we all I like really liked our dynamic and how Certain things we were talking about sharing certain things. At some point, we shared a yoni egg. I don't know if that was before mm-hmm. or after, but I think we were like sort of talking or like circling around this idea of like having a like a different kind of friendship with each other. I feel like you had taken the yoni egg out that night, and I had it in me. And that was the night that I received it from Sarah. Oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> my muscles got fatigued, <laughs> and then I gave uh. it to Nicole. <laughs> So, so she could got, carry my got, own I don't know. I feel like something about just there was like intimacy. I just I just kind of feel like I remember looking around and seeing all your faces and then being like, why aren't we making out? And then it just kind of happening. I think there was a special unusualness to it, but it didn't seem it seemed like uh, the progression of it made sense. It was definitely um kind of like momentous or like how I think why we're talking about it kind of like um, like a break or a new chapter or starting a new phase of um, our friendship and how we relate to each other. Um, but it didn't, so that that made it kind of extraordinary, but it just seemed a progression, a natural progression to that. How, yeah, then, what happened at the end of that whole scenario? I think we just go, went, we danced. <laughs> We must divest from romantic relationships as a means through which we might access a better world than this one. Like tangential as you want about how to answer that question. Oh man. Okay, cool. That's a that's a good one. That's some that's something to chew on. Uh, this is Tate. I first Tate's a professional cuddler. They call themselves a cuddle dog. Platonically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in particular, I can think of this one client I have who. He had been in some romantic relationships, and for whatever reason, that was completely separate in his mind from just touching people in general. He said that he felt really uncomfortable giving friends hugs. They host queer cuddle sessions in their Echo Park studio and one-on-one cuddling sessions for people who need touch. And so I think that that's common once we start coupling up and once we start associating intimacy with sex, it's harder to explore those two separately. Their overlapping business and philosophy is that care and nurturing are kinds of domination. 
that the ability to take care of someone else's needs in the exact way that they desire is a kind of gentle power. Uh, So you want me to talk about the connection for me between like my BDSM practice and my cuddling practice? Mm -hmm. Cool. So both of these things came to me. For Tate, there's a connection between kink and cuddling. Both are taboo in our culture, so both threaten normative ideas about pleasure and sex. So the ways that I've encountered people's misunderstandings of both platonic intimacy and BDSM make it clear to me that our society shrouds anything that has to do with intimacy or could even possibly be related to sex. We don't like being clear and upfront about sex. I mean, today I went to the gynecologist and my doctor called it a vajayjay. Like, that was really upsetting. (laughs) So if even my medical doctor can't say vagina with a straight face, like how am I supposed to expect anybody to give me accurate information about sex or relationships or intimacy? So I feel like that's where a lot of the taboo comes from and people don't believe that it can be real. People don't believe that you can cuddle with your friends and not have sex. And people don't believe that you can get beat up by someone and enjoy it. Um, But those are things that we just haven't been able to share widely yet. The path that we followed was to start to question monogamy, which led us to polyamory. But once we divested from the idea that the couple's the end goal, then it was really easy to see ourselves as part of this larger social system, as just one point in a whole web of relationships. And we saw that taken collectively, there were probably many people in our lives who could fulfill some part of our needs, both physical and emotional. And Tate followed a similar path too, from monogamy to polyamory, to something even less hierarchical and more freeform. Some people call this relationship anarchy. I first started questioning monogamy when I was 19. And I had a mentor slash abuser who was non-monogamous and the way that he went about it felt bad to me, but I really liked the concept and the ideas of like, yes, I can love anybody and I can love anybody as much as anybody else and all of these things. And that sounded really wonderful to me because I've always been a very touchy person and somebody who's very interested in connecting and not very interested in committing necessarily like the way that I say is I always like the beginnings of stories better than the ends of stories which is not to say that I don't have any long-term partners or people who I invest in over time but I'm very into the ability to freely connect when the moment is right and now I consider myself like I say relationship anarchist I have some people who are like well you actually don't mean that so you know whatever but my the way that I go about it now is I have multiple partners nobody's in a hierarchical form I kind of just go where I am wanted and needed, and that feels fulfilling to me. So it took me a really long time to get there. Uh, When Tate describes polyamory, it just reminds me of all the the times I've heard people say, like, oh, polyamory is just like, it's too much work. It's too much work to be in more than one relationship. But all I hear is exactly the way that I relate to my friends. Like, if you have more than one friend, you're, you're already doing this work. Friendships allow for all kinds of emotional intimacy, and the expectations are fluid. That's built in. It's built in that you'll be intimate and autonomous. The only difference is that now we're adding physical, we're adding sex to it. Why have we like created this really restrictive and sort of limited form for that kind of behavior? 
I don't know. I'm definitely curious. I want to like think more about like the extent to which sex or getting physical changes things. But I, I really genuinely feel like it doesn't have to if you're open and communicative. Because it's really constantly just holding a mirror up to you. It's not just a singular relationship with a single person where you guys kind of figure out what each other's quirks and like your tics are and you guys can I feel like monogamous couples end up usually just navigating around those but in a different situation you just end up facing it all the time you're like oh why does that bother me what about this for us non-monogamy just means possibilities it means freedom but it doesn't mean a lack of accountability or commitment it's just that all your relationships are constantly being negotiated Within non-monogamy, we can acknowledge that our relationships are like us, which is fluid and changing, and that the feelings and attractions we have wax and wane constantly. If you have sex once, it doesn't mean you have to have sex ever again. If you kiss your friend once or have one like amazing night of making out, whatever it is, it doesn't mean it ever has to happen again because it's always being negotiated, and like that's what consent culture would be, but we don't really live in a consensual culture. So I think that's part of what trips people up is like, you don't want to cross that bridge because like you can never go back, but like you, you can go back. You can decide hours later to do whatever you want, you know. Tate's cuddling workshops rely on this idea and they facilitate comfortable, casual, consensual cuddle puddles for strangers and friends. And then you have like the opening circle and then some, you know, rules and exercises and just things to get people comfortable talking to each other, asserting boundaries, thanking each other for boundaries, uh, some light touch if the person wants, like kind of slowly easing into what ends up becoming just a full freeform cuddle. I mean, uh, there are people who know that they want full body contact and they want it for the whole time and they're ready to get in their oxytocin. And I'm super down with that. I also, you know, really enjoy the process of bringing people from people who are uncomfortable with platonic touch to people who are comfortable with it, um, which can sometimes take a session, can sometimes take two, can sometimes take a year. Like, it really depends on the person. And so that's really the honest and generous thing is to be clear about what your no's and yeses are. And they change all the time. So it's a really constant project to be accurately communicating yeah after that night at the loft party we didn't like kiss mm -hmm. or yeah. touch each so other like in that way again yeah phoebe and i don't even hug each other hello normally so when we met tate a few months later we were curious like could we be more intentional than that night with s and c when things just kind of happened we wanted to go somewhere new in our relationship but something was holding us back do you ever see two people, like a couple or two friends? Uh, no, I haven't gotten the chance to coach two people through cuddling together, which I think would be amazing. It would just be like groups, but smaller and more intimate. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> well, we figured it all out. <laughs> I hope you figured it out, too, by listening to this episode. <laughs> and you are ready to embark on a non-monogamous way of life because we are about to get into it in the next episode. <laughs> Thank you.
Thank you very much to our voice actors this episode. You heard Linda Ravenswood and Mandy Harris-Williams. Also, a special thank you to Caitlin Press from The Heart for inspiring this episode. This episode contains passages from Against the Couple Form, an essay by Clemence X. Clementine and Associates of the Infinite Venom Girl Gang, published in Volume 1 of Lies Journal. We also heard from cuddle coach and dominatrix Tate Ashley, whose services can be booked on cuddledom.com. Cuddle, D-O-M-M-E, dot com. The song you're hearing now is Wet by Lena Fornia, whose music plays throughout this series. And earlier you heard Doesn't Work by Chioma, the audio artist. Follow her at Chioma Audio Art on all the social media. Bitch Face is made by me, Nicole Kelly, and Phoebe Unter, with assistance from Cora Kalasuno. When's the last time you took your friendship to the next level? Ooh, uh, just right now. <laughs> <laughs> Call 406-28-B-I-T-C-H. Bitch. And tell us all about it. Hey, dude. This is Caitlin from the heart. Just listened to your hitchhiking episode and it made me fucking cry in a good way. Um, yeah, it was really good. I guess that's really all I wanted to say. You guys, I love your show. It's amazing. Hi there. This is Isabel calling from Olympia, Washington. Just got out of a relationship and, uh, and Hearing that podcast was kind of like earth shattering in a way. Yeah, gonna change the way that I um, approach relationships in the future. So um, thank you for that, and uh, really love your work. Okay, bye.